The title of the sermon this morning is The Influence of Grace. We're going to look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 3, verse 8. Before we jump into our passage, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to be gathered here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what is just so crystal clear in your word, that you love us, that you've pursued us in Jesus. You're faithful to bring instruction and guidance. Thank you for what we see of your character. It just falls off the page. Now help us, Lord, as we engage your word today to, to Lord, uh, really engage it as if our very lives depended on it. That we would look at your word uh, for what it is. Your word, your provision, your love, your guidance. God, thank you that grace is so amazing. And we want to, Lord, draw closer to that grace that we see in your word and be impacted in every area of our life. We want grace to influence us in every way. So God, help us by your spirit. Bring that influence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each of us have been shaped and powerfully influenced by people and circumstances, right? And those influences are expressed in all kinds of ways. I think of friends that you start to talk like when you hang out with them. If you go on vacation and visit some friends you haven't seen in a while, maybe you come back with their accent. Has that ever happened to you? I know who my kids are hanging out with uh, because they start sounding like the friends they're hanging out with. Or teachers, you, you learn to apply what they've taught you, but you learn to apply what they've taught you in their context, but they have a huge influence on your life. Well, what kind of influence is God's grace expressed through Jesus supposed to have on our day-to-day lives? After experiencing the grace of God in Christ, how do we keep ourselves under its influence? We're going to look at three things today in Titus 2 and 3. First, grace teaches us how to live. Second, grace teaches us to be humbled by what we were and empowered by what God has done. First, grace teaches us how to live. We're looking at Titus chapter 2. We'll start in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. We'll pause there. A little background. Paul is writing to Titus. Titus was sent to the island of Crete, located off the coast of Greece and Italy in the Mediterranean Sea, to complete what had been left incomplete, to appoint qualified elders in the churches on this island, to combat false teachers, and to teach what it means to be followers of Jesus on the ground day to day, and to remind the Cretans, those on the island of Crete, of their wider responsibility, the the social responsibilities that they had now as followers of Jesus. They're called to be a witness, to do good, and to see that good as something the grace of God produces in their lives. 
So Titus has a big job to do. A big job on his hands. Cretans had a reputation throughout the ancient world, and it wasn't a good one. Followers of Jesus on the island of Crete were called to be the people of God in the world. A new people in the same world. When they became followers of Jesus, it's not like they were taken out of their context, taken out of their city. Now, Paul's desire as he's writing to Titus, who then is going to influence and pastor those on the island of Crete, Paul's desire was for the Cretans to understand how a new relationship with God shapes and influences their relationship with everyone and everything else. And this is my desire for us. The reason why we took uh, some time away from the book of Acts and we're looking at Titus here 2 and 3 is because my desire is just to pause and make sure we, we understand the connection between what we've seen in Christ, what we've experienced in Christ, and the grace and love of God we've experienced in Christ, and how that's to influence every area of our lives. Paul was concerned the churches learn how to live in a way that reflected the grace of God that they had embraced, even in the midst of the political and social unrest of their day, which we don't have time to get into all the details of what was happening. But there was a lot happening a lot of unrest. There's a lot of unrest in our day. How do we live faithfully as followers of Jesus? How is this grace of God expressed in Christ influencing us on a day-to-day basis? You know, I recently asked my sons, Jude and Shay, if they had uh, a pie, if I had a pie, and each slice of the pie represented a part of life, which parts should God have influence over? So if I had a pie... And each slice represented a part of life, school, home, our friends, you get it. So which, which parts of the pie should God have influence over? And they're like, well, what kind of pie is it? <laughs> like, that's not the point. He should have influence over all of our life, every part of our life. There's not a part of our life that God shouldn't be influencing. And we learn that in Titus chapter 2 and 3. Here in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, we see that grace has appeared. And it teaches us. What is, what is Paul getting at? How has grace appeared? Grace has appeared primarily in Christ. Grace, the grace of God has appeared to us, is what he's writing. And he's saying, it teaches us. Well, how does it teach us? What does it do? It teaches us, he says, how to live in this present age, in the here and now. And God is concerned with the here and now. And I can't tell you, listen, I can't tell you how many times this passage has encouraged me in my walk with the Lord. I have a well-worn path in my Bible to this passage. This is a very important passage. It's one I've committed to memory. It's one that I pray through. It's one that I want to influence me again and again. Why? Because I want to remember that grace, God's kindness and undeserved favor expressed through Jesus is meant to teach me. I'm a student of God's grace. The more I'm humbled by God's grace, the more I sit under what God has done and learn from it, I'm going to then be influenced by it. And and it goes on to say that it teaches us, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Grace teaches us to live a self-controlled, upright life. So we're saying yes to some things, yes to living a self-controlled, upright life in the here and now as we wait for Jesus to return, our great God and Savior. So we're in this waiting room experience in a way. But in this waiting room experience, as we wait for Jesus, we don't just wait in the sense 
of just being uninvolved and inactive, kind of twiddling our thumbs. That's, that's not our experience. We're engaging the culture. We're engaging our world. We're still living life day to day, going to school, going to work. But we've been, what? We've been so impacted by grace, it begins to transform us just from the inside out, influence us in every way. And it teaches us to say no. And, and truth be told, the more you are really... Um, drawing near to grace, the more it will have its influence on you. I mean, why do you, that's why we sing the songs we sing. They remind us of what God has done. We need these kind reminders. Grace teaches us. We become students of grace. And that, uh, that training, that teaching never stops. The training isn't a just all at once training. It's an ongoing work. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi something similar. He says, listen, you can be at work knowing that God is at work. That's how he spoke to the Philippians, essentially. You can be at work, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, working out your salvation with awe and reverence towards God. But you, you can do that because you know God is at work to complete what he's begun in your life. So now, in similar fashion, he's writing to those who are on the island of Crete, and he's saying, listen, Grace teaches us. You don't just hear of God's grace and then put it to the side. You're always sitting under grace. You're always in awe of grace. You're warming yourself by the fire of grace. You're drawing near to grace. You're being humbled by it because it has its, uh, an influence over us. It's an ongoing work. And he says it teaches us to say no to worldly passions. If you're new to Jesus, if you're a new follower of Jesus, what you'll realize, and if you're an older follower of Jesus, you've been in the faith for a while, I pray that you're, you're growing in conviction. There are things that you've given yourself to that the Lord kindly and along the way puts his finger on and says, ah, you need to say no to that now. But not no because he's trying to withhold something good that, you des that you'd be better off having, but no because he knows that's not good for you. And he's looking out for your best interests. So you, you learn to say no to ungodliness. What is ungodliness? What is ungodliness? having no regard for God. It's this pattern of behavior in our life where we had no regard for God. We were living for ourselves. We were autonomous, or we thought so. We were living out from under his, his rule, but not anymore. Now, as followers of Jesus, we submit ourselves to the rule and reign of Jesus, and it's a good rule. It's a loving rule. It's what we were called to. And, and he invites us in uh, to live for something so much bigger than just our, our own agenda. We're invited into something big. He says, remind the people, verse 1 of chapter 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. So they should already know these things is what he's saying, but he's saying remind them. I don't know about you, but I need these reminders. I need these reminders. This is a reminder to live in a way that reflects the kindness that we've been shown. That's what this is. It's a thoughtful, careful citizenship where we're submissive and obedient and cooperative when it comes to authority. We're humble and courteous and gentle in relationship to everyone. Why live this way? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. He writes in a very similar fashion to the church in Ephesus. Only he words it this way. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 1, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, 
Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imitate what God has done for you. Walk in love. Christ has given himself up for us. And then he goes on to bring some really clear instruction, just day-to-day living stuff. But look at verse 15 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to all kinds of things. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What's he saying? Be filled with the Spirit. Don't don't get drunk on wine. When, When you get drunk, you're under the influence of alcohol. But when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're you're delighting in God's grace, when you're in fellowship with God the Spirit, when you're walking under the influence of what God accomplished through Christ His Son for you on the cross, when when you're walking that way, you're under the influence of the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be influenced. Be under the influence of the Spirit. Okay, let's go back to Titus. So by extending God's mercy... By extending God's mercy, even to those we consider undeserving, we're imitating our gracious God who extended mercy to us when we didn't deserve it. He says, be ready to do whatever is good. Later on in verse 8 and 14, he says, devote yourself to doing what is good. Maintain this kind of lifestyle, in other words. Devote yourself to this kind of lifestyle. Be energetic in good works. Now, when you hear good works, don't think of just a good moral life. I want you to think, I mean, it does involve morals. It does involve living a holy life. But I want you to think practical help to those in need. This isn't simply about behaving yourself with personal holiness. And that's a part of it. But that's not the whole of it. It refers to generous and helpful action on behalf of the wider community. God has placed us in the city of St. Pete. So how can we be generous? How can we be loving? How can we come alongside those here in our community? For their good. How can we extend mercy to those who don't show us mercy? How can we extend grace and love to those who misunderstand us? Who misrepresent us? You know, the early church was unstoppable when it came to helping those in need. Whether it was the sick or the hungry or those in prison. Why? Because God met them in their greatest need. And it just made sense to them to meet others in their greatest need. And they were gripped. They were gripped by the generous love of God. They couldn't help but act that way. Now, they needed to be reminded they weren't perfect, just as we we need to be reminded. Behind the early church's growth, and it was a radical growth, is the story of faith expressing itself through love. It's really that simple. Behind the early church's growth was faith expressing itself through love. Can we pray that for us as a church moving forward? That's how we want to grow. We want to have faith expressing itself through love. Grace teaches us how to live. Are you being taught? Do you see yourself a student of grace? Grace teaches us how to say no to things and how to say yes to things. It teaches us how to wait. It teaches us how to live. He says, slander no one. Be peaceable. Consider it. Show true humility toward all peoples. Show meekness and gentleness model your king imitate jesus second grace teaches us to be humbled by what we were look with me at verse three in titus chapter three at one time 
we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We'll stop there. Have you ever had a close call where, like, maybe you were in a car accident, and, and, and after the car accident, you're just like, oh, did that just happen? I mean, I remember coming up to a red, I was just listening to music very loud, and I was distracted, and there was a, a red light, and all the cars were stopped, and I had no time to stop. So I pulled off the road, and I pulled in between two trees, like, went right in between them like a boss. <laughs> My heart was racing. Oh, when I realized what I had done, I was freaking out on the inside, you know, and uh, so when, usually when that happens, you talk about it. I mean, you, you, you remember it. You're like, wow, man, God really protected me. And you, you talk about it. It, it. Usually it's something unusual too, and, and it reminds you of how serious of an event it really was. Here, Paul is reminding the people of the island of, of Crete, uh, these new believers, how serious of an event this was, what God saved them out of. And it's important for us to understand what God has saved us out of. He says to them that you were foolish. I mean, we were without spiritual understanding, uh, the, the disobedient towards God, deceived, led astray, enslaved, which illustrates the way we gave ourselves to all kinds of passions and pleasures. But more than that, more than giving ourselves to, to these passions and pleasures, we were actually held captive to them. In other words, we were servants of these pleasures. And maybe we didn't even realize it. Now, maybe you're still a servant. Maybe you're still held captive to certain pleasures and passions and you're understanding. The lights are starting to come on that God has sent his son Jesus to actually bring freedom from the things you've been giving yourselves to. Because you're seeing that it actually doesn't lead to, to any joy or satisfaction. It's empty. It could be materialism, consumerism, secularism, that idea that you only live once, you know, YOLO. It's everywhere. It's in the media, entertainment, the arts, and music. Listen, if there's no ultimate meaning or clear goal for man, if we're just a point in time, it leads to despair and escapism. We end up just searching for meaning in the temporal. So many are caught in looking for meaning in the temporal. That was us. He says, listen, that, that was you. We lived, passing our time, in malice, wishing evil on others. We lived in envy, resenting and coveting, wanting what other people have, being hated and hating one another. Paul's saying, listen, this is the, the, the dark backdrop that God's love just shines against. It's the dark backdrop that God's love shines against. Grace teaches us how to live. It teaches us to be humbled by what we were. That's what you were. And finally, grace teaches us to be empowered by what God has done. Here in verses 4 through 7 of, of Titus 3, we have a single sentence in the Greek text. God's response to man's condition. That's what this is. And he, he basically sets the gospel. Paul is setting the gospel up in capsule form. It's a reminder. It's an encouragement. It's a reinforcement of the appeals he's been making to live in a particular way. You understand that our, our good works, 
it grows out of the grace of God that we've received. It's, it's not the other way around. You know, if, if you're looking at a, if you, if you imagine our faith in Jesus as a tree, if we were to draw a tree and, and it's got deep roots and, 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 and oftentimes, you know, we want, a tr- we want a healthy tree. We want our lives to be healthy. We want to bear fruit. We want to show that we belong to Christ by how we live and, and through our, our good works. And, and the good works could be represented by the fruit of the tree. But the roots the roots are what matter. And the roots of this tree, of who we are as believers, it's rooted in the reality of who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us. It's rooted in the cross where he paid the price for our sin. He lived the perfect life of obedience to the Father that we couldn't live. And then he died a substitutionary death in our place. He bore our sin and shame. And so the roots of our faith and our joy and our relationship with God, it runs deep into the cross too many times we try to turn it around and we put the good works in the ground. Now that's not how it works. No, no, no. The good works come as we understand God's grace and mercy. So we've got to make sure that our roots, our roots are in the cross. Our roots are in what God has done. That we're, we're drawing near to grace. And that we understand that our, our good works, it's, it really grows out of grace. It's not the other way around. It's a response to grace. It's an expression of worship and joy. It's not a way for me to earn my salvation. I couldn't earn it. There aren't enough good works that I could contribute to God. And we have in our minds sometimes, I'm afraid we have in our minds sometimes, that if I do enough good, it'll hopefully outweigh the bad. That's not how this works. And Paul's making that clear. I want us to be very clear. That's not how this works. Let's read it in... Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, how? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Let's walk through this. First, Paul refers to God and Jesus as Savior. Was this an early creed? Was this a hymn? It's pat. It's highly condensed. The emphasis in this a highly condensed, highly packed uh, sentence. The emphasis is on the believer's own experience of the kindness and love of God at the time of their, their renewal, at the time of God's salvation that God brought. And the initiative is on God who carried this out. So what's happening? The what? This is, he's speaking of the kindness and love of God, our Savior, that appeared, literally became visible or known in Christ, and that he saved us. The reason, what does it rest on? Verse 5, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Mercy is when he doesn't give us what we deserve. When I remember what mercy means, I always think of the game mercy. You ever play that? I can play with my kids for a few more years. You lock fingers with someone, and you try to bend their fingers back, and when they cry out mercy, you stop. And you win. And you don't give them what they deserve. 
Listen, verse 5 is so important. I hope it's really clear to us. It's not because of the righteous things we had done. Paul goes on to emphasize this in other passages of Scripture. It's just so critical for us to understand. Now, what's happening? The washing of rebirth and renewal. What is that all about? It could be some, some hard imagery to understand. He's really given a shout-out to Ezekiel 36, where God is symbolically cleansing people from sin's pollution and he's speaking through Ezekiel of this cleansing that will come to his people by water and the giving of a new heart, this new covenant that will come. There was this anticipation of this new covenant, this new promise that God was bringing, that he would bring, he would bring them a new heart and put inside of them his spirit. When would this happen? Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years prior that it would happen, and it happened in Jesus. It speaks of our spiritual cleansing. You know, baptism is... In, it's, in, it's a demonstration of really what's happened on the inside. It's an outward expression of what's happened on the inside, symbolic of this full-on identification with Jesus in his death and resurrection as you go under the waters of baptism and come out. But it's also symbolic of cleansing, cleansing of sin. This all happens, this, this renewal, this washing and rebirth, it happens by the Holy Spirit. This is reminiscent of the Holy Spirit uh, pouring out of, in, in Acts chapter 2. And in John 3, Jesus says, listen, uh, those who will be born again will, will be born of the Spirit. This is God the Spirit's work in us. Now, what's the goal? What does it all lead to? Titus 3 verse 7, having been justified or declared right in God's eyes, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So check it out. We have a new status where God declares us right in his eyes. We, we stand righteous before God. How in the world? How in the world does a sinner like me stand cleansed and right before a holy God? How did that happen? It happened through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He bore my sin and shame. The exchange that went down was my sin for his righteousness. So whose righteousness do I stand in? Jesus's. What do I boast in? What did I contribute to my salvation? My sin. And so it humbles us. But it should lift our eyes to celebrate the grace of God in Christ. We have a new birth. In other words, he's saying we're heirs. We've been adopted. Adoption is sweet. Welcomed into a new family. He removes the shame. He makes us righteous. That's what Paul's saying. Now, verse 7 is an amplification of the previous verses, of verses 5 and 6. It's like taking a microphone here and pointing it towards verse 5 and just cranking it to 10. He's saying because he saved us, we become heirs and have the hope of eternal life. Because of what God has done in Christ, now we have inherited so much. This is all presented in testimony fashion. In other words, we were once, and now we are. So have you experienced this? Uh, can you relate to this? Are you currently experiencing this? Can you identify with what Paul's writing? We were at one time foolish and disobedient. We gave ourselves all kinds of stuff, but now... But now he's saying, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. What? 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 He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. Just, just stay there for a while. Just soak in that truth. That's what I want for us. Because everything should be influenced by that. By that truth. You know, years ago, I was on a very strict uh, regiment of vitamins. Now, these are the types of vitamins, the capsules about the size of your pinky finger. I'd been sick, and I mean, these are like 
the capsules that are wrapped in plastic, these are the type that if you add water, it's almost like, like a, you wouldn't be surprised if a foam dinosaur popped out, you know, like, uh, but Valerie would set them out. I had, I had a little case for them and everything. Um, the capsules represent, they represented the stuff that I obviously needed to get healthy. But more than that, they had what I needed to stay healthy. We have been given this beautiful sentence, verses 4 through 7, and really before that, 3 through 7. And it's been given to us in capsule form. These verses have what we need to get healthy, but more than that, they have what we need to stay healthy as Christians. We can't move away from these verses. I mean, we can, but if we do, it won't go well for us. Things will get twisted. We'll get confused. So we're given this passage for a reason. Are you drawing near to grace? What kind of influence is it having on your life? What kind of things have you learned to say no to that you hadn't said no to before? Things that weren't even a category for you. But now you're seeing, oh, it's in, in response to grace. And maybe you're treating people that are treating you like just dirt, but you're responding with grace and love and mercy. Why? Because you've received mercy. You've received grace. And he says in verse 8, I want you to stress these things. So Paul exhorts Titus to stress, to insist, or emphasize and affirm constantly these things. Why? Because grace is meant to influence every area of our life in every way. I don't do this perfectly. I mean, just to be frank with you all, I, I mean, things didn't go well when I was, uh, when my kids were mowing the lawn the other day. You know, I, I, I got angry. I did not model for them what it looks like to respond with grace. I had to repent. Sat him down, talked to him. I told him, you know what? You know what's hard? Dad's, Dad's going to preach on grace. <laughs> Responding with kindness. And I, I, I certainly wasn't kind to you boys, and I wasn't a good influence on you, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It was hard. Now, they had some things to own up to as well. We're going to fail at this, but you know there's grace for that too. Are we being influenced by grace? I guess now that I look back, even my desire to repent and make things right with my sons was because I've been influenced by grace. What is grace teaching you? Are you experiencing the far-reaching influence of God's grace on your life? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the influence of grace. It's powerful. We want grace to influence us in every way. Lord, would you help us as a church to be students of grace? God, would you help all of us to be running to passages like this in Titus 2 and 3, to learn from it, to be trained by grace, to be humbled by it, to be empowered by it? Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy expressed in Jesus. Thank you for the great salvation we have in Christ. For those who look to Jesus, find healing. The shame is lifted. Find rest. Find salvation. We become new, new creations in Christ Jesus. The old being gone, the new having come, Lord, we look to you. And we want to live now for your glory. We want to produce good works that grow out of this grace we've received, not the other way around. In Christ's name we pray.